and welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's always good to gather with you on this beautiful fall weekend that we're having. Hope you've been able to enjoy being outside a little bit and maybe get some time this afternoon uh, to do that as well. We're in the middle of a series right now called Faithful Church. We're spending about eight weeks looking at uh, the, some texts of Scripture out of the books of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and today we're going to be in the book of Titus. And so uh, if you need a Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a few folks bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us this morning out of the book of Titus. And uh, if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. Uh, so feel free to take that. Uh, and, and if you attend here regularly and this is your church and you do have a Bible but you know a friend that maybe doesn't have one, uh, always feel free to take one of those and give that to a friend as well. We want people to have access to God's Word and so we buy those and have those for that reason, that purpose. So as you're uh, getting settled in, as you even get over to Titus this morning, uh, let's go ahead and pray uh, before we get into God's Word. Father, I give you thanks for our time together this morning that we are able to sing together Uh, that we're able to be reminded of your great love for us, and as Alan said, how that brings us together to be able to love one another. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a community, a family, a church that genuinely loves one another, and that that love would flow not out of self-will, not out of self-motivation, but because we understand and rest in your great love for us. And so, Lord, may we be challenged and encouraged this morning as we open up your word, as we talk about what it means to be a faithful church and what it means to be a faithful family together. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at your word this morning, that by your spirit, you would do a work in us that only you can do as we listen to your word and sit under it this morning. So change us because we've been here and help us to be who you've called us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I, uh, I don't come from a, a big, immediate family. It's just my mom, my dad, uh, my brother, and myself. And my extended family is a little bit bigger than that. Uh, my mom is one of four, uh, and my dad is one of two. I have nine first cousins, uh, but because, even in that nine first cousins, we're, we're multiplying at a rapid rate. Uh, my cousins, just uh, myself included, so far have a total of 16 kids, and so we're starting to get larger and larger as an extended family. But now all of this, of course, started with my grandparents, my, my mom's uh, mom and dad and my dad's mom and dad. And I have this old photo, I think my aunt posted it one time on Facebook or something, of my mom's mom. And I think it's, there it is, up on the screen here. Uh, And this is my Nana, she's standing in the middle there. Uh, I have it saved on my desktop, it's right above uh, a picture of my family, my wife and my kids on my desktop. And I have it there, I look at it occasionally. I just love this picture. It was taken, I think, in the early 1940s. And so we have um, all of her siblings there and her mom and her dad sitting there in front of of her, so it's her brother Knox and Bill, my nana. Her name's Margaret uh, Douglas and Howard, and and I love looking at this photo uh, because it reminds me of where I've come from. It reminds me every time I look at it that I'm a part of something much bigger than myself and my little family of five. It reminds me even also that one day I I won't be here, that I'll be gone. But Lord willing, there'll be more and more generations of people that will come after me, but that will all be connected together. That my kids can look at this picture and think, man, that's crazy that I can see a picture of people that are part of my family that I never actually knew. You know, family is an interesting thing. In God's good design, before sin entered into the world, he created a family. He created the family. He had a husband and a wife, a mother and a father and children. All before sin entered into the world, God designed this to be the way that his people would come together. 
What that means is that all of us have a family. For some of us, that's been a blessing in our lives. For others of us, because of sin, it's been a cause of great pain in our lives. But whether your experience with your family has been good, whether it's been mediocre, or maybe extremely difficult, what's true for all of us is that being a part of a family is a reminder that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. Our family started way before us, and our family will go on and continue on way after us. And so today, as we open up God's Word and continue in our series on being a faithful church, what we're going to talk about today is what does it mean for us as a church to be a family together. And in order for us to be a faithful church, we must be a faithful family. It's something that's necessary for us if we want to actually live out what God's called us to as a church And so in striving to be this faithful family, we too have to realize that even in the messiness of what it means to be a family together, as brothers and sisters with one another, that we are indeed a part of something much bigger than ourselves. So let's jump into the word together this morning. May God use this time to encourage us, to to challenge us, to compel us to be who we are called to be. So if you haven't already, flip open to Titus chapter 2, and this is where we're going to spend our time this morning. In God's word, Titus chapter 2, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Titus who, like Timothy, is a young leader in the church. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8 to begin our time together this morning. Paul writes this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Today I want to answer three questions as we look at this text. The three questions are this, who are we, what are we to do, and how are we to do it? Who are we, what are we to do, and how are we to do it? So who are we? A theme that we see throughout the New Testament is this, that the people of God have become the church and the church is a family. The people of God have become the church and the church is a family. We could look at a bunch of different texts to see this, but just to jog our memory a little bit, or maybe if this is the first time you're hearing this, just hear this language that the scriptures use. Out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Peter is writing here, talking to the church. He's saying, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And listen to this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, Jesus is teaching. He's gathering together with a group of his followers, a group of disciples who are learning from him, growing in their understanding of God through Jesus' teaching. And it says this, Matthew chapter 12. 
while Jesus was still speaking to the people, talking to these disciples, it says, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. They thought Jesus may be a little crazy, weren't sure what he was doing, but this is Jesus' reply. It says, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. First Timothy chapter 3, we see Paul say that, the, that an elder needs to be able to manage his own household well, his own immediate family well, because if he can't, how will he be able to lead and care for the larger household of God, the larger family of God? First Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, writing to Similar person like Titus, Paul there writing to Timothy says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. See, we have to understand that Jesus' death and his resurrection reconciles us to God. And because of what Jesus has done, we're not only forgiven of our sin, but we're also adopted into God's family. See, I think sometimes we forget the reality of what that means, that that God through Christ did not just welcome us into the borders of his kingdom. He brought us to his table, and he calls us sons and daughters. He calls us his children. But see, as we've said many times before, we are not saved from our sin and reconciled to God merely as individuals. We are saved as individuals, but not merely as individuals. We're brought into a community. We are sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters to one another. That's not just a nice thing to say to one another. Good morning, brother. Good morning, sister. No, that's true of you if you're in Christ, is that you have brothers and sisters. And as Alan reminded us this morning, we are not only reconciled to God, but because of Christ, we are reconciled to one another. We can have relationships with one another. We can be a unified family together. The gospel of Jesus Christ does that work. It creates a people. It creates a family. A bunch of different people from all different backgrounds, all different life stages, all different struggles, and all different even worldviews, and changes and transforms us and brings us together to be able to be a family together in Christ. And that's an amazing truth. If you know Christ, if you're united to Jesus, then that is part of your identity now. As you're united to Jesus, you're united to one another as well. It's who you are together. And in God's good design, as a part of his creation, as a part of the family of God, the family of God manifests itself most clearly as being a part of a local church, which is an expression of the global family of God. So who are we? We're a family. We're a family together in Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. But as a family, what are we to do? What are we to do with one another? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 5, which we read just a a few minutes ago, Paul tells Timothy, he says to him, encourage and exhort the people of God. Encourage them and exhort them. Don't come heavy-handed against them, but treat them like your family. Older men treat like fathers. Older women treat like mothers. Younger men treat like brothers. And younger women, sorry, younger men treat like brothers. Younger women treat like sisters. There's a call to encourage and there's a call to treat one another as a family, like a family. Which brings us to our text today in Titus chapter 2. Paul, in verse 1, exhorts Titus in a very clear way. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, what he's saying is faith and life must be integrated together. Belief and behavior, behavior go hand in hand. 
More specifically, what he's saying is, is that what you truly believe affects your life and behavior and how you live reflects what you truly believe. We can't say we believe one thing and act differently. What we believe changes the way we live. And so Paul tells Titus, as a young leader in the church, to teach the church the implications of the gospel for all of life. The gospel doesn't just save you, it transforms you, it changes you, it moves you from one kingdom to another kingdom. And now we follow the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ, who's risen. And in saying this, Paul addresses the same four categories of people we saw in 1 Timothy 5. Older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. Now I'm going to go through these next few verses kind of quickly, not because of What Paul says to Titus is not important, and we don't need to understand every aspect of what he's saying there. It is important, all the particular things he calls each group of people to. But the reason I want to move through it a little bit quickly here is because I want to focus on the bigger implication of this text. So what does Paul say about each of these groups of people that are part of this family? Let's look at verse 2 again. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. This picture of older men is one of a man who has dignity, who's a, who's a follower of Christ, and, and he's, has, he's dignified in that, has a vibrant and growing faith. These are men who are respectable and respected, but not because they're successful in the business world, not because they've figured out everything in life and have everything they want, and because they have a nice family and a nice house and nice things. No, they're respected and respectable because of their maturity in Christ. And because of their continuing to grow in maturity in Christ. These are men you go to for wisdom and insight in life. And they're men who are sober-minded and circumspect. They're quick to think and pray and slow to speak. There's stability in these men. It's not that their lives are perfect, that they have it all together, but rather when life is difficult or challenging, whether it's good or it's bad, they remain calm and self-controlled and even in their thinking and their life. Older men are to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Their relationship with God is solid and thriving. Their relationship with one another is marked by love and being outward towards others. Their, their focus on mission is it's strong. They have a strong focus, a committed focus. They're steadfast in what God has called them to do. See, this is a picture of a man or a group of men who are not coasting in their later years of life. And then we get to verse 3, talking about older women. This is what he says In regards to older women, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. See, like older men, older women are called to live a life that's in step with their faith, that's in step with what they believe. If Jesus is king, then that impacts their life. And so Paul's telling Titus, you should encourage and teach older women to live a life that's consistent with that. Specifically, he says not to be slanderers or slaves to wine. They're not to be busybodies or drunkards. They don't seek to tear down others or indulge in the things of this world. But then Paul also says that they should teach what is good. See, life isn't just about them. That their maturity in life, their maturity in Christ should be shared with other people. And we see specifically in verse 4, it's to be shared specifically with the younger women in the church. So we look at verses 4 and 5. It says, To teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. In these verses, we see both the role of older women in the lives of younger women and what Paul is telling Titus to teach to younger women as well. See, what we have to see here is that older women are to be an integral part of teaching and training younger women in the church, specifically in the areas of being a wife and a mom and being in the home. And what are you, what younger women called to do? Paul lists out quite a few things here, but I think we can summarize them in three major categories. He's calling them to love their husbands if they're married, to love their children if they have them, and to love and care about their home and their life, that it might exemplify that Jesus is king. See, why does he say all these things? It goes right back to verse 1. So that the word of God, that the gospel may not be reviled, because when Jesus is king, it changes the way you live. Because the kingdom of God is countercultural to the kingdom of this world. Now, what does Paul tell Titus about younger men? Verse 6, he says, very quickly, likewise, urge the younger men to be self controlled. Now, may we look at this, and especially if you're a younger lady, you may say, hold on a second, like my list is really long. The younger dudes don't have much to do here, it just says be self controlled. What's up with that? But see, I think that's exactly Paul's point because for young men, self-control is enormous in their lives. It's enormous in their lives. When it comes to sexual purity, young men tend to struggle with that. So Paul's saying, challenge them, encourage them, urge them to be self-controlled in that part of their life. Young men tend to be ambitious and sometimes overly ambitious in life and saying, hey, it's good to have ambition, but be self-controlled in that. Younger men tend to be impatient. So Paul's saying, be self-controlled in what God is calling you to do in the normal aspects of life. But even with that, what we see is that young men aren't quite off the hook because Paul challenges Titus, who is a young man, a young leader in the church, to be an example to his peers. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul, speaking specifically to Titus, says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Be, Be an example to your brothers around you. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Titus' life, his teaching should reflect also the truth of the gospel and the implications of the gospel for all of life as well. He can be an example in this community of faith. What we have to see in all of this is at the end of the day, no matter what life stage you find yourself in, as Paul's point is, is the gospel impacts all of your life. All of your life. He's calling people to live a consistent life, a life marked by the gospel where Jesus is king. See, everything Paul's talking about here for every group of people in the church is just kind of real-life stuff. It's not exhaustive. He's not saying this is everything there is, but it is instructive for us. The gospel changes the way we live inside and out from the big things in life to the ordinary, regular, mundane things of life. Together, as the church, as God's people, then we reflect the effects of of the gospel in real life. So who are we? We're a family. What are we to do? We're to live a life that's in step with the gospel in all of life. But this leads to our last question. How are we to do this? How are we to do this? See, I think the big picture implication from these first eight verses in Titus, and what I want to drive us to is to see this, is what we are to do, we do together. What we are to do, we do together. If we are going to be who we are called to be by God in Christ, we desperately need each other. If we are going to be a faithful church, we must be a faithful family. 
See, the way of the king and his kingdom is countercultural and inverted, inverted to the kingdom of this world. It's inverted. It's flipped upside down. We do things differently in Jesus' kingdom than the way the world would say and have us do. In Jesus' kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In Jesus' kingdom, leaders are servants. In Jesus' kingdom, men, women, and children are equally valued. In Jesus' kingdom, purity is prized. And in Jesus' kingdom, we love others more than we love ourselves. But see, the world disagrees with this, and the world's message and mantra is constantly inundating us and overwhelming us from all kinds of angles in our life. And so we need each other. We need each other to be the older men and women, the younger men and women God is calling us to be in Christ. We need each other to be reminded that what we believe, that Jesus is king, impacts our thoughts, our actions, our words, and our worship. And God in his good design has given us each other. He's made us a family to that end, for that purpose, to help us to be able to do these things. See, this text shows us the importance of every believer's involvement in the community of the church and the mission of the church. No one is exempt from that. We're all called to that together. See, Titus is exhorted by Paul to teach others, but he's, to call, he's called to teach others who then might go teach others the implications of the gospel. Pastor elders are called to lead out in this, but what we see here is that the community as a whole has a responsibility. It has a role together. As one pastor puts it, everyone has the role of making God real to someone else. Which means that there's not only a responsibility for yourself to, to grow in Christ, but as you look around and see the people sitting around you this morning, as you go to community group week in and week out, it's to be reminded that you also have a calling and a responsibility for your brothers and sisters around you to help them grow to maturity in Christ. It's what it means to be a faithful family. See, Paul's call and charge is countercultural even today. Where self-fulfillment and self-advancement and self-promotion and self-expression and self-preservation are admirable virtues. But when the gospel comes to bear on your life, it changes who you live for. It changes who you live for. You live for Jesus now. And Jesus calls you to live for and love others. But see, before we charge off and get to work and say, yes, let's go do this, let's help each other do this, we need to understand that what we are to do, we do together, but also this important truth. What we are to do, we do by grace. What we're to do, we do by grace. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. Paul says there, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." As another pastor puts it, if we are a recipient of saving grace, we, also, we must also be a pupil of training grace. Jesus Christ came to save us. He came to redeem us, to pay the full weight and penalty of our sin on the cross. And then he rose again to set us free. But that wasn't the end of the story. That same grace he pours out on us, that undeserved favor from God, is also what God gives us to train us to be who God has called us to be, to help us to be more like Jesus to transform us to be more like Jesus. 
What this means is we can't be who God has called us to be. We can't do what God has called us to do if we don't constantly and continually come back to the grace of the gospel. Grace saves us, but grace also changes us. And this world will continually try to pull you away, to hold you captive, to call you to live for yourself, live for yourself alone, chart your own way instead of living for the glory of God and the good of others. But a faithful family, a faithful family who's saved by grace, who's changed by grace, helps one another walk out the implications of that grace in our lives as we await our blessed hope, the return of King Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, what we're supposed to do is not be Jesus for one another. But we're called to point one another towards and to Jesus. Jesus who's alive and who will complete the good work he's begun in you. Jesus who one day will return and bring the fullness of his kingdom into this world. And when we see him, we'll be made like him. But until that day, by the grace that saved us and brought us together, we can help one another do what Paul says. We can help one another renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Not to merit anything from God. Not to gain anything from God. But because we love him. Because we know his ways are the best ways. Because we believe that Jesus is better. See, the local church is a family. It's a community of grace. It's what brings us together. It's what forms us. It's what shapes us. It's what sustains us. And every single person participates in it. And it's for all of life. Every aspect of life. And when a community is functioning together in this way, it's a powerful force for the advancement of the gospel. Because it reminds one another and it shows the world that the gospel changes everything, even the mundane parts of our lives. So that's one of the things I love most about this text. It's everyday, real-life stuff that we can help one another with. That we can help one another follow Jesus in. In our home, in our relationships with one another, in our workplace as well. So what does it look like for Sojourn Church to be the faithful family God has called us to be? You know, one of my favorite things, one of the biggest blessings of this church, I think something God has done in this church is is he's grown us, is helping us to grow together to see one another as family, to see one another as brothers and sisters. We've had a strong community with one another, and, and I pray that that continues to be the case, that we continue to be involved in one another's lives. See, faithfulness, as we've said since the beginning of this series, faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. And so when it comes to our relationships with one another, that means that we have to be in it for the long haul with one another. We link arms, we lock up with one another and say, let's do this together. I'm I'm in this with you. We want to be for each other through the highs and the lows, through the rejoicing and the weeping. We bear with one another as we step on each other's toes and struggle with the sin of our own lives and we bear one another's burdens through the difficulties of life, because we're a family together. And I believe this has happened. I believe it is happening. And by God's grace, it'll continue to happen. Even as we wrestle through the challenges and difficulties of our relationships with one another, and the challenges and difficulties of this broken world, what that does is it reminds us over and over again of our deep need for God's grace and our deep need for Jesus. See, the family of God reflected in the local church is a beautiful thing. It's a reminder all the time that we are brought together, we are committed to one another because of the gospel. That means we want the way that we live with one another, the way that we interact with one another to be 
evident of the fact that we are a family only because of the gospel. Because we come from all different places. We come from different backgrounds. But it's Jesus that has brought us together so that we can journey through life with one another and live out the gospel and its implications in everyday life. You know, Sojourn's a fairly new church. We're three years old. We just celebrated that a few weeks ago. And we've seen God do some amazing things. But listen, I don't want us just to kind of settle in. And things are good right now. We feel comfortable. We feel good about the relationships we have with one another. I don't want us just to settle in with where we're at, but I want us to press into what God has for us. You know, I was thinking about this this week as I was studying this text and just thinking about Titus 2 and the fact that he addresses all of these different uh, kind of categories and age groups of people. And I thought about where we live. Fairfax County, the average age of Fairfax County for the whole county, there's one point, almost 1.2 million people in Fairfax County. The average age for this county is 37. 37, that's pretty young for 1.2 million people. Even beyond that, 75% of this county, 75% of that 1 million, so let's just call it about 800,000 people. 800,000 people in this county are 54 and younger. Man, again, there's a ton of people here that are young, generally speaking. And, and, you know, Sojourn's demographics, I say we're a few ticks below that. Demographically, we are a young church together. And so we can look at a passage like Titus 2 and we can think, older men and women, like there aren't any of those people here. So so how, how are we supposed to do that? I guess we'll just wait until either we get older or some other people show up. So I guess we'll just table this for a little while. And listen, that's true to some degree. When we think about our church, demographically, we are young. So real quick with that, I want to challenge us with three things. I want to call us to three things with that. First off, if you are older, and let me define older for you, okay? If you are 40 and older, sorry if that's offensive to some of you this morning. If you are 40 and above, man, hear me this morning. I am really thankful that you're here. Amen, yeah. I am thankful that you're here. I know that it can be challenging at times to look around and see a whole lot of people that look a whole lot different than you right now. They're in different life stages than you are. And so I know that it can be challenging. But hear me on this. We need you here. We need you here. We, we need your wisdom. We need your life experience. We, lead, we need your maturity. We need your love for Jesus and his church. Our culture devalues aging. It devalues it. You can see it on commercials. You can see it all over the place. It devalues it, but the scriptures say that it's a gift. It's a gift. So if you find yourself in that category of being 40 and above, would you stick with us? Would you prayerfully ask and consider what God might be calling you to to serve and, and pour your life into the people of this church? Secondly, let's pray for God to bring older seasoned saints to be a part of this church family. If God's good design for his church is that there's multiple generations and the older generation can bless and help the younger generation grow to maturity in Christ, let's ask God to bless us with that. Let's pray and ask him to bring those people here, those seasoned saints. Maybe you know someone in your life right now and maybe what God's asking you to do is to go ask them to consider coming and being a part of this congregation, this family for that reason, for that purpose. And third thing, let's be who we are now and do what we're called to do now. I don't want us to read Titus 2 and think, okay, yep, we're exempt. I don't need to pay much attention to this right now. There's not a lot of demographic variance in here 
in our church. But listen, almost everyone in this church can place themselves in one of these two categories, if not both. Because there's probably for most of us somebody that's older than you and somebody that's younger than you here in this community. So with that, let's think practically about how we right now can live this out. When I was in college, God placed a man in my life named Mark. And when I was a freshman in college, 18 years old, Mark was 25. And I thought he was old. Man, was I wrong. <laughs> 18, I was 18 years old, 25-year-old guy. And God had just had put a burden in his life, a, a, a desire in his life to help pour into younger men's lives. And so God used Mark to help me grow in Christ. He, he helped me to understand what it means to see Jesus be king of all of my life. He helped me develop just a stronger and a deeper sense of a love for Jesus, even going to the basic things of just studying God's word, spending time in prayer on a regular basis. And Mark formed this Bible study, which came to be known as the Vandals. That's a whole other long story. I'll tell you some other time. But it was made up of these six guys, and we just journeyed, with, journeyed through life with one another. I still know all these guys. We the same guys I've talked about before. We get together every year and spend time with one another. And Mark just followed the Lord's obedience in doing that. And Mark's 41 years old now, still older than me, of course, but still plays a key part in my life. And he does that as he strives to have sound faith, sound love, steadfastness in all of life. And listen, his life isn't perfect. He's had messy parts of his life, struggles in life, struggling with unbelief, struggling in marriage, struggling parenting. But man, he's been there. And I'm able to talk with him about those things and and see how he's doing that in his life. So men, hear me this morning. Look around you and consider what God is calling you to and who God is calling you to, no matter your age this morning, no matter your age. Who's someone in your life right now in this church that God is calling you to be a spiritual father to, to be an older man in their life? Listen, you don't have to know everything. I don't want the next thought in your mind to be like, well, I don't know enough. My life is jacked up. It's messy. Man, do you know the king? Do you know Jesus? Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Do you have God's word? Do you have everything you need to just come alongside someone else and just share your life with them? So pray and ask the Lord to show you and then pour your life out as you cling to grace. Ladies, one of the key things that older women are called to do is to teach and train younger women to be godly wives and mothers. And you may think, well, hold on, I've only been married for three years. I've only been married for five years. I've only been married for 10 years. Or I only have one kid or two kids or three kids. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing myself. How in the world could I help somebody else? What else could I possibly have to offer someone else right now? Listen to me, I think you have a whole lot to offer. A whole lot to offer. You can invite women into your life who desire to be married. Women who are newly married or new moms or desire to have kids and you can just share your life with them. So wives and moms, regardless of how old you are, you are an invaluable resource to the women in this family. Because as you cling to grace, as you strive to be who God has called you to be as a wife or a mom, you can help those around you that desire the same thing. This is discipleship. This is discipleship. Discipleship is about becoming more and more like Jesus. So We can help one another grow to be more and more like Jesus in the everyday normal aspects of life. Just real life. And here's the deal then for both older men and women. If you find yourself in that category, and again, there's somebody older than you, there's somebody younger than you, so I think all of us can kind of place ourselves there. But here's the deal. You can do that in just the normal everyday channels of life. The normal everyday channels of life. It doesn't have to be a formal meeting where you use formal curriculum. It can be simply inviting someone to come into your life and just watch you live. 
See, I learned a lot from Mark from our Bible studies. And, and don't get me wrong, the, the word of God is central. It's preeminent in helping you become more and more like Jesus. And I learned a lot from Mark. I learned how to study the Bible really from him and spending time with him. But I learned so much from Mark just by being around him and his family. Watching him be a husband and a dad and a worker who was united to Jesus and trying to follow Jesus. So let me say something specific to the mothers in the room, especially moms of young kids. And I know there's quite a few of you. You may feel like you don't have a lot to give right now. You're tired. You're exhausted. Right now, life is a bit insane. It's full of messy hands, messy diapers, and messy houses. I don't have anything to give right now. But I think you have a whole lot to give in the middle of the mess because that's real life. That's where following Jesus takes place. And so just consider inviting a a young woman in the church into your life just to come and, and do life with you. Just live life with you. You don't have to do anything formal. Just ask her to help you. Ask her to help you around the house. Ask her just to come and be a part of your life. And you can teach her how to manage your home. But be honest and real about the struggles and the difficulties and the overwhelming nature of what it means to do what God has called you to do. I can guarantee you that will be monumental in the life of somebody right now. Because, see, they may not remember the content of a Bible study you did with them, but what they will remember for years to come is how you spoke about your husband, how you loved on your kids, and how you were desperate for Jesus in the midst of all that. So ladies, who is God calling you to be a spiritual mother to right now? And pray and ask the Lord to show you and then pour your life out as you cling to grace. My encouragement to younger women and men is short and simple. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to seek people out to learn from. Seek people out to learn from, but be willing and eager to jump into life with them in the ordinary, everyday parts of life. See, that's where God's calling you to be faithful. So be a student of godly men and women in your life right now. Man, what a blessing from God to have people around you that are just even a step further, a little bit further down the road from you that you can look to and learn from. And if you find yourself in that younger category, treat those older than you as mothers and fathers and treat one another as brothers and sisters and set an example for your peers in all areas of life so that the gospel may not be reviled. You know, one very intentional aspect of, of something we do together as a church is we gather in community groups. We don't break that up by different age groups or different life stages. And we, we have younger and older men and women, single and married, with kids, without kids, kind of all thrown together. And it can be messy at times. It can be challenging at times because we are at different places in life. But man, I think that is God's gift to us because we can all learn from one another. I've talked to so many different men in this church, young men who are about to get married or have just gotten engaged or newly married, and several of them just on their own volition have just said, man, I've loved being in community group because even as I sit and listen to my brothers ask for prayer about being the husbands God's called them to be, I've learned marriage is hard. Man, how much I need God, need his grace. That's a blessing in those men's lives. I know the same thing has happened for women who are learning about the difficulties and challenges of being a mom or being married or just the struggles of life. But the same thing's true the other way around. I've been in a group where someone older has been directly challenged and exhorted and rebuked from someone that's 19 or 20 years old. We all have something to offer to one another to help us to grow to maturity in Christ. It doesn't have to be on a Sunday morning. It can be Sunday morning, it can be Wednesday night at community group, but it's every day, all aspects of life at any minute. What we do, we do together, and what we do, we do by grace which means all of us have opportunities to, to teach the gospel, to speak the gospel, and to reflect the gospel to one another. 
My hope is that this family would be a community where we can be real with one another, where we can be vulnerable with one another, where we can open up and share about the challenges and the messiness of life and just share our lives with one another and come back to the end of Titus 2 and say it's for by the grace of God that's appeared, bringing salvation for all people that trains us to renounce ungodliness, that helps us to live godly lives. We remind one another of that grace. See, we don't have to know how to fix anyone. We don't have to know the solutions to everything. We just need to be able to point one another to Jesus. See, life is a journey. This is not our home. And we are all sojourners. This is, not, this is a temporary dwelling place for us. We're on a journey, but we're on that journey together. So as we travel that road, as we travel through life together, let's help one another take the next step as we seek to depend on Jesus and become more and more like Jesus as we also long for him to come again and say together, come Lord Jesus. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't yet know Christ, you may think some of this sounds weird. It may sound weird to talk about one another as being a family. It may, talk, it may sound weird to you to talk one, about one another being brothers and sisters. But let me encourage you this morning. This is the best place for you to be. It's the best place for you to be because coming into this community gives you an up-close look at what life looks like as we wrestle with and struggle through the difficulties and challenges of life, as we strive to follow Jesus as King, as we rest in grace and extend that grace to one another. And listen, we're not a perfect family, but we are striving to be a faithful family. So I want to encourage you to jump in. I want to encourage you to jump into this community because we're holding on to Jesus Believing that he is the son of God who died on the cross for our sin and rose again from the dead. And he is faithful. And we want you to know him. We want you to follow him. And this morning, I want to call you to that. Would you trust in Jesus today? But let me encourage you to do something else as well. Just jump in with us. Just jump in with us. Get into a community group. Get into relationship with someone. Maybe somebody invited you to be here this morning. We want you to share your life with us. And we want to be able to share our life with you as well. So come and do that this morning. Jump into this family. In verses 13 through 14, Paul reminds us of two things. He reminds us that we are waiting for Jesus to come back. We're awaiting for the return of King Jesus, our blessed hope. And he's reminding us that that Jesus has redeemed us. He saved us from our sin. He's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. And he's created a people, a family who are zealous for good works. Surgeon, as we wait for Christ to return or to call us home, there is work to be done. There is work to be done. And with God's help and by his grace, then, let's not live our lives for us, but let's live our lives instead for one another and for the good of others so that more people might meet our Savior and that all of us might grow to become more and more like our Savior. Man, what is a family? What is a family? At the end of the day, it's a, it's a web of relationships. It's about being interconnected. It's essential relationships, essential connections to one another. Listen, you're my family. Just like that picture of my Nana and her family on the screen reminds me that I'm a part of something much bigger than myself. You remind me that I'm a part of something much bigger than myself. See, I need you. I need every single person in this room as my brothers and sisters to help me grow to become more and more like Jesus. I need you to carry me sometimes. I need you to push me sometimes, just as you need me to do that in your life as well. We all need each other. Because see, when I think about this church, I think about your faces, older and younger, men and women, and I long to see each of you grow to maturity in Christ 
to become more and more like Jesus for the glory of God and the good of others. So sojourn, by God's grace, let's be a faithful church by being a faithful family because it's true, we are all a part of something much bigger than ourselves. You know, one of the things we do every week that reminds us of that truth, that reminds us that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves is we come to the table together and we take the bread and we take the cup and we do something that our brothers and sisters for generations, for thousands of years have done to remind ourselves that we're a part of a big family. And we've been welcomed to the table of God as his sons and daughters. We come to the table to renew the covenant promises of God. That he has saved us, that he's rescued us, that he's made us his own. And one day he'll bring us all the way home. So as you come together this morning, as you come to the table, whether to the front or to the back, you can look around you knowing there's people before you, there's people behind you, there's people all around you. And together we testify to one another and to the world around us that our God is faithful, that he's good, that he's kind, and he's gracious to save us and bring us into this family. So as you come forward this morning, come with joy in your heart. Come with thankfulness in your heart that God sent his only son to die in your place so that you could be forgiven and set free, reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. So as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup this morning, listen to the words spoken over you this morning. Christ's body was broken for you. Christ's blood was shed for you. And may those words bring peace to your soul this morning. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning because this is a family meal. And what that means is we have to be desperate for God's grace. We have to have accepted God's grace through Christ, placing our faith in Jesus. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want to call you again. Just place your faith in Christ today. If you believe that Jesus died for you, that he died for your sin and rose again, you can trust in Jesus today. You can ask God to save you today. So I'd encourage you just to stay in your seat and ask God to do that work in your life today. And if you have, still have questions about that, you still don't know what that looks like, you don't know exactly what that means, that's okay too, because that's why this family is here. So again, jump in with us. Jump in with us. Walk with us. Journey with us. We want to help you know what it means to know Christ and follow him. And I hope one day very soon that you'll come to this table as well as my brother and as my sister to rejoice together that God's grace is sufficient for every single person. And those of you that will come forward, again, you can come to the front or to the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a small cup to drink, and hear the words of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning very simply this, that you would help us to be the faithful family that you've called us to. And that we would know that that's not out of us mustering up strength on our own. It's not out of just trying to commit to doing that. It's coming back and remembering the fact that it's by your grace that we've been saved. It's by your grace that we've been brought together as brothers and sisters. And it's by your grace that we will be transformed to become more and more like Jesus. And it's a gift from you that we have one another. It's a gift from you that we are in this family with each other. That God in your providence, you've brought every single person in this room right now, and even our brothers and sisters that are part of this church that couldn't be here this morning, you've brought us to be a part of this church right now in 2015 in Fairfax. Lord, may that not be lost on us. May you help us to look around and see and, and think and talk to you about what you're calling us to, of how we can help one another grow to maturity in Christ, to be the brothers and sisters, the family you've called us to be. 
So Lord, would you do that transforming work in our own hearts and our lives? We make, may, may we take the steps of obedience of what you've called us to, and may from beginning to end, may it be soaked in your grace. We love you. We thank you for your deep love for us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.